0: Good morning. Um, open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Back of the bulletin is an outline you can follow along. In our text today, Paul writes about a profound mystery. And may it or not, you know it can be a profound mystery that a man and woman can effectively communicate. Because many women are so different. God wired us that way. We are just different. We express things differently. We hear different things and it goes both ways. I want to share just a few to kind of illustrate. I put these on the screen. I going to start with the men. <clears throat> what he said, my mom is coming over for dinner. What she hears, anything less than absolute perfection makes me an utter failure. <clears throat> what he means, my mom is coming over for dinner tonight. Here's another one. What he says, okay, fine. What she hears, I'm so annoyed at you right now. And what he means, I just want to end this conversation. What he said, why don't we remodel our master bathroom? What she hears, I'm getting in a new master bathroom now. What he means, one of these days when I get around to it, we should remodel it. What about the women? What she says, is that what you're going to wear tonight? What he hears, I better go change. (laughs) What she means, why don't you let me pick something out for you? What she said, I'm fine. What he hears, I'm fine. What she means, I'm not fine, and you should know that. What she says, do I look like I've gained weight? What he hears, this is a trick question, I'm doomed no matter what I say. (laughs) What she means, I'm feeling self-conscious, and I need a compliment from you right now. What she said, when you do the dishes, you should do them this way. What he hears, you're an idiot, and you did it the wrong way. What she means, you need to do the dishes my way. What she said, will you take out the trash, please? What he hears, when a commercial comes on, will you ask our son to take out the trash? (laughs) What she means, I shouldn't have to ask you to help around the house. One more. What she said, honey, why don't you turn off the game and let's talk? What he hears, why don't you put your head in a vise and I'll turn the handle (laughs) until your skull explodes. It is a fact that we filter what people say through our own ears and sometimes hear what we want to hear. God did wire men and women differently. But for some reason, we messed that up. And sometimes people take it to extremes and think men should be a dictator and women should be a doormat in our marriage. But according to the Bible, both are wrong. Jennifer Lopez has already been married four times, She was talking about that one time in the interview. She said, my philosophy is to be happy at the moment. And there's a lot of people who live like her and they make decisions with that kind of philosophy. As long as my spouse fulfills the roles that I want them to, then I'm going to stick with it. If you've read Ann Lander's column where she will tell somebody that they're going through marital troubles, are you better off with them or without them? But think about it. That kind of advice is so self-focused. You're not thinking about the other person. And plus, it totally disregards what God tells you to do. God is the one who instituted marriage back in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. In our text today, in Ephesians 5, Paul quotes that because that is eternally true, the way God designed it from the very beginning. Now, remember, these verses in Ephesians 5 were written originally to the church in Ephesus, to Christians. So back in that day and even today, if you're hearing this and you're not a follower of Christ, this could be very hard to hear. In fact, sometimes it's hard for those who follow Christ to follow these teachings. In this series, we've been studying how once you grasp who you are in Christ, when you have the right identity... Then that helps you then to have the right thinking and the right speech and the right standards. Last week, we talked about the right focus. Today, we're going to talk about the right perspective, especially in marriage. But even if you're not married, these are biblical principles that really can apply to any kind of relationship. So let's begin and look in Ephesians uh, 5, verse 21. I want you to look in your Bible. It's going to be on the screen, but I want you to look in your Bible as well because <clears throat> Our translations sometimes divide, not just in chapters and verses, but also in paragraphs. And sometimes there'll even be a, uh, like a, a heading for each of those. And different translations render this part differently. Sometimes verse 21 <clears throat> is at the end of the previous section. Sometimes it begins the next section. Some translations kind of have it as its own line all together. But remember, this original letter didn't have, in fact, didn't even have punctuation. So all this kind of goes together. So the lies about uh, verse 18 about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we talked about that, la- la- that, la- that last week, and submitting to one another here in verse 21 apply to all of us. I want to make sure we get that. So don't just turn this message off and think, well, I'm not married or this doesn't apply to me, because verse 21 applies to all of us, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So how does submitting to one another, how this submissive spirit, how does that honor Jesus? Well, it shows that we are accepting God's ordained structure for life. In fact, this is one example, but we see this throughout the New Testament. Citizens are to be submissive to government, Romans 13. Children are to be submissive to their parents, Ephesians chapter 6. Church members are to be submissive to their leaders. The Bible talks about that, Hebrews 13. And today, we're going to talk about how submission is in the marriage relationship as well. So what I want to do in our lesson, if you're looking at the outline, two perspectives for the wives, and then two perspectives for the husbands. For the wives, right perspective number one, think submission, not slavery. Think submission, not slavery. Verse 22, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So after telling all of us to submit to one another, he then gets very specific. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Ladies, this is probably not displayed on the wall of your home. It's just not. It's just not one of those verses we treat that way. One author I was reading said, There are some men who only know two verses of Scripture, Jesus wept, and wives submit to your own husbands. I hadn't thought about that one before, but he might be right. And sometimes we will joke about Sarah calling Abraham Lord, and we forget just a little bit later, God told Abraham to obey Sarah, especially in that particular circumstance. So some men misinterpret this to be some sort of perverted dominance over his wife, and they have in their minds a thus saith the Lord kind of attitude about it. Some women misinterpret this to mean they have no authority, that they have no say, that a wife is to be a slave. But look at this, verse 22 and following wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body And is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Why is this word submit such a lightning rod word? You ever wondered about that? Why do we struggle with this? Let me begin by explaining what it does not mean. John Piper said this Submission does not mean that the husband's word is absolute. Only Christ's word is absolute. No wife should follow a husband into sin. You can't do that in reverence to Christ. Submission does not mean surrendering thought. It does not mean no input on decisions or no influence on her husband. It does not come from ignorance or incompetence. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to carry it out according to her gifts. That Greek word used for submit, it does not convey an innate uh, inferiority. Instead, submit calls for an active, deliberate, loving devotion. Actually, more often than not, when you read it in its original use, it's a Greek term in a military sense, meaning to arrange under the command of a leader, kind of who's in charge kind of perspective. In a non military use, it's a voluntary giving up of one's life. It's relinquishing your rights. And think about it we do it all the time in life, with, sometimes without even thinking about it. When football players gather in a huddle, they don't look to the brightest or the strongest or the fastest or the biggest. They look to the quarterback because he's been given charge on the field and they submit to him. This teaching is not to degrade women. It's not to infer that women are less than men. In fact, remember how when Jesus came along, his treatment of women astonished everyone because he elevated them. He respected them. He treated them as who they were in God's eyes. He spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well when no one else would have. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. You wouldn't do that, but Jesus did. He included women in his parables and his teachings. It was women, if you remember, who were first to go to the tomb. Jesus' treatment of women was revolutionary. But what about those women who were reading this letter from Paul about submitting to their husbands in the first century, but yet their their husbands had not yet become a Christian? Did this apply to them? Well, Peter addressed that. 1 Peter 3, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Be subject to, respectful, pure conduct. These to be a deciding factor for your husband to believe in Jesus. So right perspective number two, think devotion and not duty. Think devotion and not duty. Paul writes, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is about God. God doesn't say, Wives, submit to your husband because he deserves it. He doesn't say, Wives, submit to your husband because he meets all your needs. He doesn't say, God, wives, submit to your husband because he's a good provider, because he's a good man. None of that. As to the Lord. In verse 32, we see that God established this, this family structure as a microcosm for the church. He's speaking about the church. He's given this as an example. I mean, this may seem like a slap in the face, but scripturally speaking, your wife submits to you, not because of you, but because of God. Her devotion to him. Her submitting to him, that's why she's doing this, not out of duty to you. Mutual submission, go back to verse 21, is defined as one person esteeming the other better than themselves. That is a principle (coughs) taught throughout Scripture. Humility must be the goal. If you have a hard time swallowing your pride, you have a hard time with this verse because submit... It's like a a distant cousin, or maybe not that distant cousin, of pride. The two so often go together. When we demand our rights, relationships crumble. Wives, if you're tempted to reject your husband's authority, ask yourself, if Jesus asked me to do this, would I? Because really, you're doing it to the Lord. Your submission to his leadership in the home It's the testimony to all who see, especially those close in, but to all who see that Jesus is your Lord and your love for him. So let's look at husbands for a moment. Paul describes what is expected of the husband. So what does it look like? Right perspective number one, think dedication, not dominance. Think dedication, not dominance. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's interesting to note this that Paul tells the husband to love his wife, but he didn't tell the wives to love their husbands. A lot of commentaries will talk about this, and most of them will agree that a part of this is that for the most part, it's a given. For a woman, that just happens. just kind of comes naturally. It's kind of again, the way God designed them for that. But for men, not so much. Some men have that tendency to say, well, I told her I loved her, and I don't have to tell her again and again. But Paul is saying here, you show your love for her. You tell her. You talk to her. You comfort her. You hold her. You know how to effectively communicate that with words, with actions, over and over again, that she's loved, that she's cherished. Christ-like spiritual leadership within the home is driven by love and affection and a deep dedication to someone's best interest. It's not about a power. It's not about authority. Look at the verses that follow. Verse 25 and following. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Some read Paul's words here and think he was really just being politically correct at the time, kind of bowing to the culture of his day. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. And in Paul's day, some of that makes sense because women were not allowed to speak publicly. Women could not testify in court. Women could not vote. Women were seen more as property. They were the childbearers. That was dominant. That was the main thinking of that time. So to infer that Paul was caving to his culture doesn't hold water because he doesn't leave men off the hook at all. He talks boldly when the culture was not about enslaving womanhood here. The husband has had this unconditional love for his wife. Unconditional love. So much so, he's going to sacrifice his own desires for her. That was not the common thought of that day. That was not the culture of the day. She comes first. Husbands, that went totally against that culture. When Paul wrote to the book of Ephesians, this letter, it was unquestionably a man's world. So his admonition of this sacrificial love would have been startling and even outstanding, revolutionary to hear While God's word is conveying this man is to be the spiritual leader, note the context here. The expectation the husband loves his wife as Jesus loves the church. Study after study show one of man's greatest needs is to be respected. And for a woman, it is to be loved. And these are the two things that are mentioned here. God knows how we've been created. God knows how he wired us. And what he's telling us is to do this, and it's going to be to our benefit. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. It's going to serve her, him well. It's going to serve you well. Let me illustrate it like this. Dr. Emerson Egritz wrote a book called Love and Respect. And he, to me, gave a really good word picture. So let me share a little bit, especially to kind of help us realize what's going on here. If a husband is commanded to have an unconditional love for his wife, then evidently she truly needs love. In fact, she needs love just as she needs air to breathe. Picture if you would, the wife having an air hose that goes to a love tank. While her husband bounds in starts prancing around like a 10-point buck looking for some place to graze, he steps on her air hose. This does not make her a happy camper. In fact, if she can find a baseball bat or some other weapon, she might just whack that big buck and tell him. Get off my air hose, I can't breathe. Simply put, when her deepest need is being stepped on, you can't, you can expect her to react negatively. In counseling, I tell the husband that when he sees the spirit of his wife deflate, he is stepping on her air hose. She is crying out. I feel unloved by you right now. I can't believe you're doing this to me. And then he goes on to say the husband needs respect just as he needs air to breathe. He also has an air hose that it runs over to a tank called respect. And as long as the air is coming through, he's fine. Don't miss this. We pointed this out earlier. The wife is to respect her husband, even if he's not a Christian. Or is it loving her the way that he should? By the same token, the husband is to unconditionally love his wife even when she's not submitting, even when she's not meeting his needs. And in that culture, and even today, that can be very hard to hear. John Popper wrote this, headship is not a right to command and control it's a responsibility to love like Christ, to lay down your life for your wife and servant leadership. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Alright, perspective number two. Think sacrifice, not selfishness. Think sacrifice, not selfishness. Verse 28. Ephesians 5, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he loves his wife, loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of the body. God is saying here, through Paul, husbands, you must be willing to lay down your life for your wife, while her love is to be submissive, yours is to be sacrificial you lay it all down your possessions your titles your pursuits your life for your wife not because she deserves it although she may not because she's earned it because you love her because you love her and this can be hard because men of the two genders men or more selfish? Did I just say that? I think I did. <clears throat> Tell me I'm wrong. We tend to be big on convenience, comfort, not so much self-sacrifice. When I was preparing this message, I talked with Barry England about this text, and he said there's two things I want you to stress. One, verse 21, the submitting to one another. It's for everybody. It's not just in marriage. not just for husbands and wives. Not just for the wives to do the husband. This is for every. This mutual submission. So we've talked about that. We're going to talk about that more in our small groups tonight. But a second one, he encouraged me to share a video. I think he shared it to us before. It's been a while maybe, or maybe you haven't seen it before, but it so well illustrates a husband loving his wife as Christ loves the church. Watch this.
1: I don't count it a burden whatever to have to care for her. I, I need to do everything from the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to bed. I do absolutely everything, I clean her teeth, shower, dress, everything, And um, but it's, it's a privilege. I count it a great privilege to, to care for this one that I've loved all of these years and continue to love. This is the year where we'll celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Our stories have been a, a lovely story. I first saw her when she was eight years old and her brother became my best friend. We grew up together and as we grew up, yeah, she was there. And I knew that she used to stare at me when I was playing footy with, my, with her brother and uh, another friend and when we used to ride bikes and she kept staring at me, but I wasn't interested. As well. I was 17, she was 16. I saw her dolled up, dressed up, and she had an a-line dress on and boom it was gone. i was uh, she was the one for me then, absolutely <laughs> when we first started uh, dating i used to ride my bike from where i lived to where she was and that was about five kilometers on a saturday afternoon because it was the only chance we had to get together and uh, it was hair wash day for her and she used a special cream in her hair for her shampoo. And I could still smell it because that smell was so particular so nice. It was absolutely special. We had a bike. I used to ride everywhere on my bike. And then Brad had a bike as well. And we put a, a baby chair on the front of her bike. And so we carried our babies around on the bike with her as well. So, yeah, bike's been part of our lives. And I guess that has something to do with us now. Around about 2004-05 I began to notice uh, that there were things going wrong. She was finally diagnosed with uh, the horrible disease of Alzheimer's. Having lived overseas I knew that with a bike you can do lots of things. So I had a bike made, a bike chair made. We take it to the beach and ride along beside the beach. as we do that we see lots of people, a lot of people come talk to us because it's a unique thing. Nobody else has got a bite to quite that way. I am determined to care for her every need, every need. You see, God has loved us so unconditionally. And I understand that God has put his love in my heart. And because I realise how much God has loved me, that's how I too can love my lovely wife. She has done so much for me over all of these years. Now she can't, but I can, and I can return her love. And it's a love that, uh, well, to me, means I can do everything for her. She's my princess, I'm her William, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Would you have it any other way? No, not at all.
0: We love each other. God put his love in my heart, and that's how I can love her. She's my princess. I'm her William. We wouldn't have it any other way. We love each other. Here's a problem that too many marriages struggle with and experience. We expect our spouse to fulfill all our needs, to do everything for us. But no one person can do that. Now, culture tells us that movies tell us that, but Bible doesn't tell us that. Because only God can fulfill your every need. We're able to love like he loves because his Holy Spirit is working in us. Notice again, verse five, chapter 5, verse 18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, submitting, verse 21, to one another out of love and reverence to Christ. That's the key to relationships, any relationships. And I will say this. Husbands, I've never seen a true Christian woman have trouble submitting to her husband when she's loved like Christ loves the church. The two go so well together. Why love and respect? I believe that can be the most powerful combination to an unbelieving world of how good our God is. And when people see that, In your marriage it is revolutionary and our world is dying of hunger for that and if you and I as followers of Jesus would incorporate this in our lives all of us submitting to one another and if you're married husbands you love your wife wives you submit to your husbands that would revolutionize your home this church our community, our country, our world. And this is God's design. And everything he's asking of us is for our own benefit. It's for our own good. It makes the best life. And think about it. You want an example of this, of submission? You want an example of sacrifice? That was Jesus in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. And at Calvary, he gave his life for you. This morning, our song of invitation is to encourage you to have the same submissive, sacrificial life that Jesus had. And for you, if you need salvation, we always have the water ready for baptism. We'd love to hear you confess your faith that Jesus is Lord, the Son of God, and we'll help you. Or if we can pray for you in any way, Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage?